Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences around the world. Each week we endeavor to bring you a new interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen. And sometimes we bring a recording of Henry himself. We invite you to share the daily meditations and these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to reach our spiritually hungry world with Henry's writings, his encouragement, and of course, his reminder that each of us is a beloved child of God. Now, let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. I'm honored to have as my guest today, Randy Woodley. Randy is an activist, scholar, author, teacher, wisdom keeper, and Cherokee descendant, recognized by the Kitua Band, who speaks of justice, faith, the earth, and Indigenous realities. Randy offers us an Indigenous worldview. Randy, I have read several of your books, and they are so life-giving and life-changing. You wrote Becoming Rooted, 100 Days of Reconnecting with Sacred Earth. Let's start there. You said that you wrote this to help us become better Earth relatives. What do you mean, better Earth relatives? Oh, yeah. Well, thanks, first of all, for reading my book. Um, you know, I always uh, have to appreciate people for taking the time to do that. Um, yeah, you know, becoming rooted is a little bit different than the rest, as um, you probably noticed, in that I was just trying to kind of walk alongside people as they did a journey. So the, the, the title, the subtitle is 100 Days of Reconnecting with Sacred Earth. But, you know, I'm happy for people to pick and choose and, and do whatever. But my feeling was that if I could write something from a more indigenous perspective to help convert people from a, a Western worldview in a sort of a soft way to kind of walk alongside them in a daily, you know, daily basis, that, um, that uh, it would be a, a way to introduce people or really reintroduce people back to the relationship that um, that creator gave us from the beginning. Um, we're all earth relatives. We're all related. We're all in reciprocity to everything around us. And so um, we just don't take time to realize that, especially in our, our modern, chaotic, busy worlds. And so this is hopefully a prescription to... Uh, kind of give people the permission to get back into what what is natural. I found it really, really valuable. Strangely enough, I took it with me on my vacation, and it just became began to bathe me in a kind of sense of awareness of the world I was in. And I realized you can so easily lose contact with creation. And really at the heart of all that you're sharing, right. you're, really, you're really honoring God as the creator of everything, and that connects us all. I'd love to ask you a little bit about your your family, because you you know in the introduction to that book, that one thing that I was aware of, and I felt this with my other uh, indigenous friends that they often say, "Let's position me with the people that are in my life and the place that I am." Could you tell me a little bit about Iluye? Is it how do I say it? Iluye? Is that it? It's it's about harmony. What is this? It's a place in Oregon, and it's a and it's experience. Tell us about it. Yeah, so Elahe uh, is a Cherokee Indian word, and it basically, uh, on a uh, for um, Christian and Jewish folks, it would be akin to that word shalom, uh, 
that's used so often in the Bible. So the um, the big picture shalom, though, uh, the fuller picture, which is a very holistic concept. And Elahe just basically means that everything is in harmony, everything is uh, in balance. It's not perfect, it's not utopia, but it is um, striving uh, to uh, find that balance and that harmony that uh, we see in so many of our stories. For example, the early Genesis story where everything is in harmony and balance and, and uh, working together. Um, and then, uh, you know, as, as human beings, we have a tendency to, to kind of uh, wreck that. And uh, so, so our job as human beings then is really to restore that balance in our lives and restore that balance in our environment, our ecology, and, you know, our systems, uh, whether they be uh, economic or educational or, you know, ecological or whatever. But, um, you know, God has really meant for us to live in uh, harmony. And so Elahate is all about that. And um, our place that we have in Oregon here is uh, just 10 acres, very diverse uh, in terms of um, the environment, but it is um, uh, basically a place where we're trying to uh, restore harmony, both in our teachings and how we uh, are dealing with the land here and allowing the land to deal with us. In other words, we are shaping the land a little and the land shaping us and we're trying to find compromises to work together to get what we both want. And um, so, for example, we don't crowd out our non-human neighbors. We're making room for them, right? And so we've been rewarded uh, a lot by the kinds of uh, um, animals and birds and things that we that we see on this land as we walk around. And yesterday, we just saw a mother and her fawn, and they're not really that that afraid of us anymore. They they kind of know this is a little refuge, and so we hope that it's the same for people when they come here. And we have schools, um, and we have uh, cohorts, and you know, online teachings, and of course, I have my books and all of those kinds of things. But we also have a farm. Uh-huh. In that farm, we use uh, regenerative practices, um, and we have a seed company. So we're uh, saving seeds and continuing to have uh, what we call open pollinated seeds. So they're never genetically engineered or patented or anything else. Um, so that uh, you know, they're they're basically um, free for anybody to grow their own after that. So, yeah, that, all that kind of makes up uh, who we are and um, what we do here. I love the fact that all your books take us back to this shalom and this community of creation. And I, I wonder if you just kind of open up for me, really, the sacredness of earth and how it relates to the heart of God's creation. Yeah, well... <laughs> You know, the story, if you want to look at it from a biblical perspective, the story begins in a place, uh, and it ends in a place. And as uh, uh, theologian, uh, Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann has said that land is the central theme in the scriptures. So um, place is very important um, because place is where the creator interacts with creator's people. And that makes those um, very sacred places, but also where Creator interacts with everything else, the whole community of creation. And we need to, uh, sort of the Western worldviews to see ourselves as apart from and over the rest. 
you know, because we, of course, we think we're very important people. Uh, people mm-hmm. are the most important things, but we really are just a part of uh, something bigger. Uh, the land, for example, will be here long after uh, we're here. So I won't, you know, uh, outlive uh, my property. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my property here, uh, the land will outlive me. And so I have to see it from that sort of big perspective, that long perspective, and and understand that in the uh, the you know the sum of all things, um, that uh, God has placed us in a particular place where God has been active. Uh, the spirit, as we say, has been active in the lives of, of people and the rest of nature um, for, you know, uh, what would we say, uh, since time immemorial, I guess. And that, that makes it sacred. Um, and so we share our experiences of what happens on that land and uh, and and understand that, um, that the God who cares for us is a, a very personal God, a God who doesn't, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't sort of universalize his affection. His affection is personal to everyone and everything. And so because of that, it makes lands uh, where things are happening very sacred. How does the, um, the harmony way overlap with Christianity? You do it so wonderfully in your book. Help us understand that. Well, yeah, and, and first of all, I think we need to make a distinction sometimes between Christianity and Jesus. Okay, <laughs> uh, fair. <laughs> yeah, those aren't always the same thing. Um, but uh, so uh, Christianity as we know it in the West uh, has taken on some very un-Jesus-like um, characteristics and values. And so um, the Western uh, Christianity then uh, is often, often antithetical with the teachings of Jesus. It's, you know, the, the mm-hmm. competition and the greed and, you know, the materialism and, and the exclusion and all those kinds of things. But what we find in the teachings of Jesus is very much in line with what our Native American people have been taught. So um, this, uh, many of the same values, uh, many of the, and so I, I've never met a Native person who had trouble with Jesus, but I've had almost all Native <laughs> people have trouble with Christianity. Yeah. So, um, so when we talk about our Native ways being compatible uh, with the teachings of Jesus, we are very closely aligned. Um, but when we talk about Western Christianity, it's, uh, it be, looks very different from a Western worldview. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you speak about how there is this fit of shalom, and shalom is communal, and it's holistic, and it's tangible, and those seems to be the things that just really connect so perfectly with a, a Native Indigenous spirituality. But it's, it's not a utopia out there. I think one of the things I found as I'm, as I'm reading, it was really kind of a, a resonating with what is here and now in the beauty of what God has given. And that all of creation is, is such a declaration uh, of the character mm-hmm. of God and the nature of God. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the scriptures were not written from a Western perspective. That's the first thing to realize. Now, how they've been sort of interpreted and translated over the years and theologized is extremely Western-oriented. And so um, we, we don't come uh, with sort of uh, open eyes. We come with lenses already put on. And, and those Western lenses tend 
to help us to sort of do things like separate the yeah. uh, material ethereal, what we call platonic dualism, to separate the, you know, that uh, the mind or the spirit, etc., is is more important than the physical, the body. And uh, no one wrote the scriptures from that perspective. Um, and so indigenous people have a little bit of an advantage as to probably other uh, peoples in the world and other indigenous peoples in the world um, in that uh, we've not been as affected as much by the Western worldview, by that dualism. And so um, it, it's kind of like um, we get what they're trying to say a little more. We understand narrative and story in a lot different way. And so, um, so what was maybe intended uh, by the writers of scripture, none of which were uh, post-enlightenment bound uh, thinkers, um, uh, is uh, a little more maybe uh, closer to being uh, what they wanted read. Uh, I don't think anyone who wrote the scriptures ever intended them to be cut up and parsed and verse, verses taken apart and, and words taken apart. All of those tools are helpful, but if we look at those and don't have a picture of the whole at the same time, we miss the point because these are 90% of scripture is story, by the way, it's narrative. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you don't understand story or narrative, and that's not really a tool that Western folks really like, Um, you know, it's, it's more of a propositional thinking and, you know, uh, linear and, let me get these points down and you'll remember them. But the truth is, is we actually remember the truth of story uh, way more uh, effectively than we do propositional truth. So, um, so we've just got, you know, we've got some problems we've got to overcome. And I think indigenous peoples uh, are one of the sort of peoples that we have uh, to help Western folks to understand what's really happening there in the, in the scriptures. I, I, that's one of the things I, I felt came through so clearly in your, in your books was just this sense of, in a way, uh, this dualistic thinking has obviously caused loads of problems for all of us. Take me back and just kind of help me understand where you don't think this is the case in a kind of indigenous rooted understanding of creation and, and of God. And help me understand that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it, it's as simple as um, let, let's take uh, one of my favorite stories, um, which is Luke 15. Um, Luke 15, one and two begins, and it says, and the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble and complain because Jesus sat with sinners and even ate with them. And that's the context. And then there goes on and, and we look at that and, and from the Western point of view, and we go, okay, now he tells a story about sheep, and then he tells a story about, uh, you know, a, a widow, uh, and then he tells a story about, you know, these two sons, and um, and then, you know, I grew up most of my life in church hearing one of those parables taught, and people usually tried to avoid the one where the woman lost the coin. Most of the time, they can't <laughs> figure that out. <laughs> um, but if we understand, of course, the background, and we understand what's going on in the whole story, the, there is not there's not uh, three parables there. There's one parable. And the one parable is all about uh, helping them to see that because the first story is about really a, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of triune 
uh, test of shalom in the Old Testament uh, was how are you taking care of the most disenfranchised? How are you taking care of the widows, the orphans, and the foreign immigrants, right? Yeah. And so, so Jesus tells a story there about a shepherd who at that time, as we know from background, were mostly Gentiles. Then he tells a story, and the, of course the Pharisees can't relate to that, and then he tells a story about a woman who is a widow. And then he finally tells a story about uh, someone who made themselves an orphan. And, uh, um, you know, the, those we call it the parable of the, the, uh, the prodigal son. But the story is really about that older son. Because if you go back to uh, Luke 15, 1 and 2, about the Pharisees grumbling and complaining, etc., they're sort of the older inheritance of uh, God's laws, etc. And now uh, they're complaining about Jesus extending his hospitality or his shalom in an equal basis, setting, uh, showing he's equal to them by eating with them. And then at the very end of the story is the, is the uh, older brother, and he's outside the party. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, uh, uh, you know, is, kind of shows his love for the Pharisees here because he, the father is entreating the older son to come in and join. But the story ends with them outside the party. And the Pharisees, they, those particular Pharisees understood. They weren't, didn't see themselves as a Gentile. They didn't see themselves as a woman you know, or a widow. And they certainly couldn't have compassion you know, on the lost son. But, but maybe when it talks about the father uh, who comes running, who's waiting for him, which is to me one of the most beautiful parts of all of Scripture, is that the father's waiting and he sees him far off and he runs to him and the son says, you know, I don't have, uh, uh, you know, uh, anything to offer. And I mean, he's got this speech, but it says something remarkable. It says the father doesn't even hear him because he doesn't care about that. All he cares about is that his son's return. And so, so he's, and, and I think the Pharisees then begin to see themselves in that, those three stories, which is one story about um, uh, that they you know, they can maybe be that father. They couldn't be the relate to anyone else, but they can maybe be that father who accepts the son. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, no, you're the older brother mm-hmm. who won't join the party. So if you understand that as three separate parables, uh, rather than one big story that's being told, um, you miss the point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's just one example of um, how to understand story that's different than the sort of extracted mentality and parsing and of each sort of verse and each little story. So there's a bigger picture that's, uh, that's missing. Clearly, that as you recount that story, I'm reminded of Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, and, and how much it spoke, it told his story of being all those characters, including the father, including the one who ultimately welcomes back everyone into the... Into the circle. Yeah. I'm so deeply aware that as I as I've been reading what you've been sharing uh, of the Harmony Way, that you have so much to give us right now. And the indigenous understanding, indigenous vision is something we need badly, deeply right now, uh, more than ever. It's like a here we are in the midst of where we find ourselves with so many hurtful realities, so many rights denied, so much stolen and taken and assumed. 
And how do we find our way back to a conversation, a deep conversation where we hear and we don't just assume we know? What, what, what can you speak to us? Yeah, well, you know, the hospitality and generosity are two of our predominant values in, in Native North America. So uh, as Indigenous people, this is something that we were taught from the beginning. And, and even anthropologists, uh, as part of what we call original instructions, um, don't be greedy. Share what you have. Welcome people who are without. Make sure everybody has a place. Extend your family. You know, call them relatives. And so, um, so this is just one of the many, many values that uh, that we have is similar to those that Jesus taught. Right? So, um, and with those values, um, uh, what has happened is that you know the the dominant society has said, no, we're going to take advantage of that. We're going to not only take what you offer, but we're going to take what you don't offer. And, uh, and then we're going to use it for ourselves. And to be greedy is probably one of the, the uh, cardinal sins of uh, Native values is to, because people can't survive when everybody else is trying to just get for them. And so sharing them becomes an extremely important value. Um, and I think to, to get that, to, to let loose of the materialism, to let loose of the, you know, no, it's all mine and you can't have it. And, you know, we're not going to talk about reparations because, you know, it's a zero sum game. If you gain, then I lose. All those kinds of thinking have got us in the binds where we're in right now. So you people need to really hang around with Native people and, and see those values and see how they actually work together and Native communities. Uh, now, true, a lot of our communities are very affected by dysfunction now and what we call post-colonial stress uh, disorder, and uh, as a result, post-traumatic stress and all the rest. But, but you know, like like uh, Nowen says in the Wounded Healer, you know, we're we're all healing, and so we've just got to help each other along the way. So, um, you know, I think. Uh, the, and, and the other thing that this does, the other healing that this does for people in the dominant culture is that um, it, to learn from Native people uh, basically um, comes against the, any ideas of, of superiority, of, of, of white supremacy or anything like that that says that we're, we deserve more than you and you deserve less. And so all of a sudden the people who we've been taught through our myths, our historical myths, um, are less than are the ones that actually have something to offer us. And that puts then the West in a, in a position of uh, humility. Yeah. Um, and humility is a great learning tool. <laughs> Absolutely. I know, I know about it personally. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so there's, I, I think that just more and more exposure, uh, attending Native events, um, uh, you know, uh, those kinds of things, and w- watching uh, Native people at our best. You know, yeah. uh, we're the best usually at our cultural events and at our camps and things like this. And, and, uh, and then trying to find out like, well, what are, what are the indigenous people around me trying to fight for? What yes. are they doing? And it's usually about protecting land and protecting resources, protecting the things that God has given us as gifts. And protecting children. Yeah. The reality is we're wanting to, we're wanting the best for the weakest and that we share. Yeah. I read in, in your book one line, which I thought was 
kind of a, a good one. The bad news of Jesus Christ requires people to forsake their own ethnic identity for the identity of the dominant culture. The bad news of Jesus Christ means trading in shared communal values for economic systems based on greed and the success of the individual over the group. You're right. We, we somehow assumed that that was what was expected instead of recognizing the ethnic identity of everyone around us and valuing it and treasuring it, really treasuring it. And, and in that, restitution does play a very important part. I, we can't step aside from that. We've got to go forward, but we go forward with love and healing, I think, in, in ways that uh, celebrate that this creation has been given to us all. Can I ask you, you, you mentioned Henry. Has, has Henry Nouns writing had an impact on you? Yeah, when when I was in uh, seminary doing my master's divinity, not my doctoral work, but um, back that would have been uh, let's see, eighty six to eighty nine. Um, uh, you know, the standard reading is wounded healer, right? <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and I think that is one of the the sort of streams of influence that helped me to understand. You know, hey, we've all got baggage. You know, I've got it. Don't try to pretend like I don't. So it, and vulnerability is to me um, our most authentic selves. Um, I, I, I understand uh, our creator, God, as the most vulnerable being who exists. And to me, um, when we can be vulnerable is when we're most human, which is what we're made to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, being vulnerable means admitting, you know, uh, humbling ourselves and admitting, yeah, I have this stuff. But that doesn't preclude me from doing something good in the world and in other people's lives either and so uh, just to be aware and so I think that that was that was another sort of uh, uh, stream that helped me to to come to the place where I understood how um, sacred it is to be vulnerable in life. I, I love one of the lines and, and you'll have to give it to me back correctly but it's really you know forgive us uh, creator for we're just human beings. What is that? I, I hear that. Some of your stories uh, tell me that, but but in it is a kind of accepting of our humanity, which is that vulnerability that connects us all. Yeah, and we're, I mean, we're all on this existential quest to, you know, to, to find out who we are, right? That's the sort of uh, what happens in societies as they sort of get past the subsistence stage and get into this sort of luxury living then it becomes a thing of who am I, you know, and, and we are, you know, Western society is very individualistic, maybe the most individualistic in the history of the world. And so, um, so we're all sort of, uh, you know, looking for this uh, thing to explain who we are, but, but it's very simple. We were created to be human beings. We are not created to be God. So to try and be, uh, you know, sort of godlike is a, is a, you know, it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the best we can be is to be what we were created to be, which is vulnerable, honest, truthful, uh, shalom-loving human beings. And in that is where we find our identity, um, in accepting our humanity, because that's that's all Creator has ever expected is that we just be human beings. Human beings can be wonderful, wonderful creatures uh, at our best, but we can also be terrible, terrible creatures at our worst. 
You know, I found there were some wonderful questions in your in the book Indigenous Theology and the Western Worldview, and you tackled some really excellent questions. I I'd love to just look at a few of those because I think the questions that that the audience that's listening might have. And by the way, I want the audience that is listening to know we're just touching the surface with this. Please, please, please. I want you to get Randy's books. I have enjoyed them so much, and I'm going back to reread them. Um, they've been they've been eye opening and awakening for me in in a very special way. But let me just ask a few of these questions because I think they're good. I've heard the saying Christianity is a white religion, suggesting why some indigenous people have rejected Christianity. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Well, I don't know how I answer those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you answer them today? <laughs> because I answered them, I answered them live, uh, and uh, and then I had a chance to sort of uh, you know write my answers a little clearer. So, as I like to say, I write a whole lot gooder than I talk. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So you know, in terms of a white man's religion, I, I think what people are saying when they say that is that um, uh, the you know, one of the, the worst representations of of God, according to uh, the Book of Job, and we're we're in the final chapters of Job, and and uh, and, and and Job is having this, or uh, God is having this serious conversation with one of Job's so-called friends, right? And and he says, you know, hey, bad news, because. Of everything that you did, you misrepresented me. You misrepresented my character. Mm. And so if Job forgives you, then I'll forgive you. Wow. And so so to me, the, the, the original uh, uh, sin, uh, if you will, of, of Western white Europeans uh, was they misrepresented who God was and who God is. And so... Um, yeah, if and, and and then has earned them the white man's religion, right? That title. Um, but the good news is, is that you know God is the Creator, who is the God of everyone, uh, not just white people. And so, um, you know, learning how to rethink that socially and politically and personally and in our relationships is is part of re- restoration. Is part of admitting and humbling um no as white people we aren't better than anyone else we're just human like everyone else and you have as much to offer as to everything as we do i love the reality that uh, it's spoken that everything in creation speaks of god you know that even if you don't have the word or the the witness of jesus all of creation speaks of the nature of god all of it. That's right. And that's something that's really, that's a baseline that we all can move from. We can all start with. Mm-hmm. Randy, how do you put together the Great Commission and colonization? Well, Karen, I have uh, news for you. I don't know if it's good news or not, but I have <laughs> another book coming this summer. <laughs> and it's, it's called Mission and the Cultural Other, A Closer Look. Uh-huh. And what I talk about there is it's basically a critique of Western uh, missionary movement. So, um, and I am, you know, uh, I'm an uh, anthropologist, missiologist by, you know, profession in my uh-huh. training. Uh-huh. And so this, and I've been a commissioned missionary and, uh, you know, on and on. So this is a world I'm very familiar with. But when we get to the roots of what's behind 
the Western missionary movement, we find out that it's actually jam-packed with white supremacy, notions of white supremacy. And so what I try to do is give a fair critique of that in this book and then talk about ways that we might do things differently. And, um, uh, and, and mission is um, uh, Samuel Escobar, who was my mission professor, uh, had a great little book, a very uh, small book, but it was really good. And it was called, um, I forget the title, but it was like Mission from Everywhere to Everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that we are all learning from one another. Um, we all have something to do. And I have these sort of 10 uh, uh, points, if you will, which I call uh, uh, Dr. Woodley's 10 missional imperatives. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, probably the most formal thing I've ever done, uh, maybe besides my PhD dissertation. But um, where I, I in this book where I go through them and I say, you know, there's, there's 10 things, at least 10 things we have to remember uh, when we go about um, doing missions. And, and the first thing is that, you know, um, there's nowhere that we can go where Jesus isn't already present. And so people have a hard time with that, right? Because they've been taught different theologies that, that will limit God. But, you know, I, my understanding of God is, is, uh, is not real limiting. And so, um, and then the, the second thing then, and I'm not going to go through all 10, but the second thing is then to find out where Jesus is at work and then to join in. And, uh, and then third, to convert to the truths that are being taught in the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus, because it's our job to convert first. So they go on and basically, um, uh, you know, we, we finally get to the point of um, we'll, we'll, traditionally we might talk about something called conversion. But I believe in, you know, not just one conversion, that, that the word salvation is actually much better in most cases translated as healing Mm. and so um that we are going through many healings and that we are constantly being healed and so um and we can uh, help to heal each other so it's not sort of like from one to the other but that we all have something to teach one another and i think when we enter mission with that kind of an attitude um it looks very differently I look forward to reading your next book. <laughs> we'll be talking about that soon, I hope. That sounds good. Let me just uh, close with this. Um, it's literally permeated all that you've said, but I'm just going to ask you to speak to the now of where we are and say how you feel Indigenous theology can help us today. Yeah. Well, peacemaking is one of the um, actual um and you know this in Canada maybe a little better than we do in the U.S. There's a, a different sort of history and mythology in Canada, slightly different. Not that things were, were you know, perfect or better in a lot of ways, but they weren't as violent, uh, the transition that happened between Indigenous people and Canadian people as they were in the United States. And so we have violence built in our system. It's, it's horrible. Um, and, and with that comes this uh, oppositional thinking, like, you know, hey, you're right, uh, and and you're wrong, and you know, there's a, so one of the great things that we have to offer in reality, not in movies, but in reality, uh, is a long-standing tradition, thousands of years of peacemaking, 
And so that's one of the things that we really need to be able to learn and talk to one another. We have to be able to sit down and, and, and make peace. And so um, uh, in order to do that, uh, it, it takes some effort. And so, you know, I know the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission that you all have had in Canada uh, is, a, is a move towards that. It's not the final solution, but it is a move towards that. And so and we need to see a lot more of that going on. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, as Native people, we, we did war, but war was different uh, often. And, um, and then we'd much rather have peace than war. And so in the times that we're living in, I think the first thing we got to do is sort of break down that Western worldview so that we can see and we can listen differently uh, than uh, folks have in the past, and then expose themselves to other kinds of thinking, um, indigenous people and other peoples who, who think differently and, and begin to learn the values that uh, have held these societies together for so long. So, yeah, it, it takes a lot of exposure. Um, fortunately, in Canada, you all have a lot better chance of that because, you know, Native people, I think, are maybe 9% of the population. Whereas in the United States, we're like, uh, you know, 0.005 or something like that. So, um, so Native people seem to have a louder voice, and, uh, uh, and that's good. So, you know, I guess I would just urge people to listen. You know what's interesting for me, um, and I, I'll be honest, obviously one of the great shocks uh, that we have lived through in Canada was the recognition of the discovery of, of uh unmarked graves of children that had gone to residential schools and it brought to the fore what the residential schools had been the horror of that and for myself what became apparent to me was it happened on my watch I didn't want to believe it Mm -hmm. but it happened on my watch and in my ignorance and the place to begin was to go back and say okay what don't I know what haven't I cared enough to understand and I would urge all who are listening get back to history in a very real way and read and and understand what's been going on. What is the grief that's there? And understand how you can be part of reconciliation. We can all be part of it if we, if we want to enter in. I really want to encourage you to read Randy's books. I have gotten so much out of them and I, I have cherished this experience to talk with you, Randy. And I'd like to talk on the next book too when it comes out. Please, please, by all means, uh, send me a copy and, and, and let's talk again. All right. Because I really do want to be part of this process of reconciliation. I think everyone who calls himself a Christ follower, a Jesus follower, wants to meet uh, and make peace together and, and find true, true respect for one another in that environment. Thank you so much for being with yeah. me today, Randy. I've loved it. And uh, we just touched the surface with all the good, good, good stuff that we could find if we were to go in depth into your books. But uh, you've given us a taste of the importance of our centering our faith on the Creator, the Creator of all things. Thank you for the invitation, Karen. It's been a joy to talk with you. Thank you, Randy. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. What an honor for me to spend time with Randy Woodley. Randy has a deep and profound grasp of God's shalom and the harmony way, and I'm glad he shared it with us. I want to encourage all our listeners to seek more and go deeper, be part of the reconciliation we need to see happen. And I highly recommend Randy Woodley's books, and you can find links to them in our show notes. 
You'll find links to anything mentioned today, as well as book suggestions. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we would be so grateful if you would take time to give us a review or a thumbs up or pass us on to your friends and companions on the faith journey. Thanks for listening. Until next time.